Extreme Vocabulary is not your typical word of the day podcast. On Extreme Vocabulary, we look at the politics, etymology, aesthetics, and the culture behind each word. Today's word, edict. What's up, Abraham? Oh, how are you doing? Are we starting already? <laughs> uh, Abe's. Sorry, man. Retake. Yeah, right. All right. Our word today is edict. What's up, guys? What's hey. up? We've got are you. I should introduce everybody. Yeah. We got Aaron here. Hello. Efren. Yo. And Abe and me. I'm Josh. Your uh, voices are too sexy for this, dude. Uh, mm. The the deep voices of Efren and and Aaron over there. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that off off camera. Off camera. <laughs> it's all the reverb in this ambient uh, context set setting. Oh, yeah, what you call this again? The rook's nest. The rook's nest. The rook's nest on oh, on top, uh, perched atop Graves Hill. Graves Hill. Okay. Oh, no. All right. Nobody's ever referred to my voice as deep before, so now I'm all. Uh, <laughs> it's more like baritone, but yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, but there's like a huskiness. There's like a graveliness to it, like. You know, like uh, Sting, he sang really high, but he had like scratchiness mm. to it. So it was like covering a couple bases, you know. I like you too. <laughs> All right. Nobody describe my voice, okay? Mine is terrible. I feel like I have the worst voice, especially for podcasts. You know, like my voice doesn't go with it, I think. But, with the uh, format? Your voice is very didactic yeah. and pedantic at times. Uh, no, it isn't. <laughs> your voice is the one that I pick up on. It's professorial, you mean? <laughs> no, you, your voice is the one that I pick up on. Like the, In other words, I never confuse yours for anyone else's. Like It's it's the one I, re, I, I pick up on faster than anybody else's. Where some of the other voices kind of blend together, including my own with. Oh, so that's okay. a good thing, I think. It's because we're all trying to be funny and you're just being the anchor. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um I mean, we're not just talking about voices for not, by the way, right? You guys know that. I mean, uh, so our word today is edict, which actually has to do a lot with voice. Um, All right, so edict. Uh, Let me just get some stuff out of the way as usual, even though Aaron is always bored with this part of the podcast. (laughs) All right, so edict is, of course, a uh, comes from a Latin word, edictum, which literally just means, you know, uh, uh, to say something out of yourself, like literally. So it's like ex dicere. So edictum means to like project your voice outward, I guess, something something like that. Can you astrally project your voice outward? Astrally? Mm-hmm. Um, depends if you think about radios and, uh, you know, internet and things like that. All kinds of other technology that allows us to project our voices. Touche. All right. Um, Let me okay. find, my, find my cosmic me- megaphone here. <laughs> um, yeah, you can like blast your voice out into space, and hopefully one day some alien life form will find it and try to figure out what in the world you're saying. Um, okay, so we have Latin edictum. We have the old French edit, which becomes the Middle English in the 13th century edit again, and then we finally get to the English once we get to like. 15th century, where we have the modern form of the word, which is edict. Um, and its definition is uh, an official order or pl- proclamation 
issued by a person in authority, but we're really going to think about it more as uh, a proclamation by a king more than anything, because I don't think we use the word edict anymore, right? I mean, you know, do we, do, do we use that word in democratic societies? Mm, democratic societies, no. But you'll hear like a papal edict has been issued. Mm. Yeah, okay. But we, we sort of still think of him, I guess, as, uh, as a kind of like supreme authority, right? Um, supreme pontiff. Something close to a king? Or, or is that heresy? <laughs> Am I saying heresy here about this pope? You're just uh, misguided and misinformed. Okay. Well, you know, I don't know that much about Catholicism. There are other words, though, that we do use in our language that still have the same weight, though, right? Of an edict? Like what? Like, like a decree? Or I'm thinking of what the president does when he says something and then all of a sudden all this stuff starts going down. Like when uh, executive the executive order, executive order. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's. I think that's the only thing that uh, we we usually they both think start about, with right? the knee. They both start with the knee. <laughs> uh, yeah, that counts for a lot. Um, we don't. Yeah, but we don't call like his words like a decree or a command or a pronouncement or a dictate. I mean. Unless you're like Fox News and you hate Obama, then you like look yeah. at the dictator giving out his dictator. Manifesto. Like that. That's the word. Yeah. His manifesto. Yeah. List of demands and yeah. grievances and gripes. Manifesto's writ, right? Isn't yeah. manifesto written? So, and edict is, yeah. is more associated spoken. with spoken, right? Yeah, with the oral. Um, yeah. So I, I think this goes to the the problem that you were thinking about, Efren, right? That you had like some problem finding the word anywhere in like modern literature, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. So again, because we have to think about like older societies, right? Uh, aristocratic societies. Um, when we talk about the word edict, so it's kind of interesting that it's fallen out of use, even though it's still around, you know? Um, yeah. Like if you're, if you're interested in like, like old, uh, Chinese poetry or, like religious type poetry, you'll find edict all over the place. But if you go after that, it just it just like falls off the face of the earth yeah. as a word in, in literature, at least. Um, yeah. So, two things to say about edict. Number one, I, I do think it's more related to you know hierarchical aristocratic societies in which the king is the one who pronounces edicts, but also that it's for some weird reason it's culturally related to religion more than anything and i guess that's a question i have for you guys is to think about like why that is why is it that this word is associated with religion you know um i mean i have a whole list of like famous edicts that i found online and uh yeah the edict of nance or how do you pronounce that by the way nance Nance? Yeah. Like Nancy? Nance. 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 Are you sure it's not Nantes? Nantes? That's if you're gonna that's if you're gonna order the Pataji Dujer, then yes. <laughs> Alright. Um so like all the famous edicts that I found online, um out of what, like the ten or fifteen that I found, most of them have something to do with religion. Um is the edict of Nance one of them? Yes, not... Catholics and Huguenots. 
Oh, right. Okay. So... Of the Protestant flavor of Christianity. All right. So we, I guess we can think about that. Like, why is an edict so associated with religion? Um, and, I know why. Okay. The word. Because edict is not written. Edict is the word, right? Right. And the word, if we go back to the book of John... Wait, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? John is the fourth one, correct? Yeah. All right, thank you. You're the biblical scholar here. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and the beginning of John, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm rusty, and say, uh, it began with the Word, and it was the Word, and I am the Word, and the Word is God. <laughs> Something along those lines. I'm very much paraphrasing here. But the Word is prominent. Isn't Genesis, doesn't God bring the word, the, the uh, universe forth through Word, right? Yeah, uh, he he. And he spoke. He speaks uh, the universe into existence. Um, yeah, and then John, uh, the the gospel according to John in one one is a kind of quote of Genesis in a way, right? When he says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." So there's this association of Word and God, and if you're speaking words, you are speaking God's words. But who determines that? Well, this crown upon my head determines that I get to speak for God. Well, weren't they reading edicts, or was there this idea that they were, like, channeling God in the moment and, like, improvising these uh, edicts or something like that? I don't know if they were improvising them. I mean, a lot of these edicts seem well thought thought out and seem to be also um, the result of, you know, of... The, whatever was happening in their historical moment. Mm-hmm. So, for example, well, let me bring this one up. Uh, okay, so which one am I looking for? Well, can, oh. I, oh, can I ask a question real sure, quick? Sure, sure. All right. When an edict was issued, was it also like, and you'll get the, uh, you know, you'll get the written form in your mailbox, you know, so that you can go and govern? <laughs> or were people so expected to like remember what was said and then they have to go and write laws based on what was said or something like that well that's what i think the problem is uh in earlier societies right it's like the problem of voice the fact that you're just one person right it doesn't matter if you're a king and you've got like the best booming voice the problem is that you're only one person and your voice only goes so far. There's a limit to your lung capacity, right? So your, your uh, corporeal ability to speak. But then there's also the, your limits as a human, the fact that you die, right? So you can tell other people to spread your word, but those people are also limited by their own lives. And like, how do you get the word to the next generation and then the generation after that? It becomes like the telephone game. Well, yeah, part, partially, right? It's like uh, your word gets corrupted as it moves along the lines. But also um, but also the fact that you, the voice stops at some point, right? Or as Derrida would say, and I hate quoting Derrida, but like, every, you know, like all our writing and all our language exists under erasure, you know, like it, at some point, you know, it just disappears, you know? So, I mean, one of, so one of the things that they did was, of course, in order to publish edicts, we're going to write them down on manuscripts. Or when it comes to the edict of Ashoka, right, it's all written down on stones and pillars. Um, so he would send out people to go actually like go carve this up 
on like stones in certain places all over the kingdom so that people would come to them and read them and understand what the king was saying at that moment. Um, uh, speaking of the Edict of Ashoka, it was actually a, one of the very first edicts that we know about, I think, um, spe- and it's specifically about Buddhism. Do you know about that, Josh? No. no. You're the Asian person <laughs> in our group. Because <laughs> he's like the most Buddhist guy you know, right? Who? Oh, <laughs> Josh. Nah, he's the least Buddhist person I know. Um... Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so the edicts of Ashoka, for example, were found throughout the places that we call today India, Bangladesh, Nepal, and Pakistan. And there seems to be like a, a total of like 33 inscriptions. They're all written on like pillars and boulders and, and you know, rocks and stuff. And it was all about the fact that the Emperor Ashoka had converted to Buddhism and he wanted to tell the story about his conversion, but also, um, you know, pronounce all the new laws, you know, which were Buddhist, based on Buddhist principles. So they had to do with things like treatments of animals and like prison reform, you know, um, you know, uh, amnesty for prisoners. Uh, what else? Uh, the protection of animals and treat, treatments for humans and things like providing roadside facilities, believe it or not, you know, so things like that. Um, and again, it was all like based on, you know, the principles of Buddhism and stuff like that. So like right from the beginning, we have something, we have an edict that's pronounced and it's heavily like tied to religion. Um, so that's, again, what I'm wondering about. And I think we're kind of getting to it, you know, thinking about, whether the, the word of the king is also the word of God. Um, yeah. That's been a question for a long time. Well, in the case of the edict you just described, it, it wouldn't be a Christian God, right? Or it... <clears throat> no, right. It... So, is it, so edicts are supposed to be a divine decree, like a divine set of principles that we're supposed to or a divinely inspired set of principles yeah i think so um so like ashoka would be uh uh, spreading the teachings of buddhism right by carving them out on these stone pillars everywhere right by sending his his men to do that so he's spreading uh the the teachings of buddha (laughs) and uh you know, at the same time, by doing this, he's also proselytizing people, right? Because he's getting them to to obey the, the, the new laws that he has discovered, right? And he's turning people into Buddhists through his pronouncements. Um, yeah. That's interesting. It's But he did write them down, too? Uh, well, no. I mean, all we know is that he had people write them down on these... Rocks, you know? Yeah, because the question then for me becomes, what's the difference between an edict and then just the king or power deciding things are going to, there's going to be a new law or a new set of principles? A sweeping decree. Yeah, an edict, then its implication is that it's something beyond, like it's something with divinity attached to it. Like, I guess that's the question. It's like, 
Is that what makes an edict different from just a pronouncement? So, all right. So let me throw some other edicts out at you. Uh, some that don't seem that are tied to religion, but don't seem to be. Um, let me stop for one more second be- before we go forward, if that's okay. Yeah. Ashoka wasn't speaking in English, right? No. So he wasn't like, yo, guys, I got an edict. He said something <laughs> else. And then it was interpreted by people who uh, interpreted that event into English as the edict. Or yeah. maybe French or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I guess that's interesting. Maybe it's something... In the case of that, where it was decided after the fact that it had so much authority that uh, they would call it an edict, but you can't just do... In his case, didn't sound like he was doing an edict on purpose or something. Or he mm-hmm. probably was, though. Or some... He, he set up a structure that would make his words more important than they otherwise would have been. And that's what made it an edict, maybe? In the European mind, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, you have a point there, of course, because we're dealing with a translation here. So what what would Ashoka have considered his words to be, you know, like maybe he had a different conception of what he was doing um, as he was spreading the, the messages and the principles of Buddhism. But he was an emperor, right? Yeah. So he did think that his word was law well i yes yeah Hmm. okay yeah there's something about you know i had no idea that edict actually carried so much weight i just thought it was a pronouncement an official pronouncement of any kind so it's interesting to learn that its cultural associations are so religious i had i didn't know that well there there are actually lots of edicts that are um <clears throat> of a non-religious type i mean you know like in the roman empire you you know you had your local i don't know what they were called Aaron. you would know uh, your, your, local... <laughs> your, your local governor or someone right who, yeah who would pronounce edicts right and talk about how he is going to govern and his edicts are really the principles by which he is going to govern. Um, Mayors. Something like that, right? Mayors, governors, yeah. Um, So, yeah, there's all those. But, again, for some reason, the ones we remember, the edicts that we most remember are the ones that are tied to religion. Hmm. So, here's this one. The Edict of Worms in 1521, which outlawed Martin Luther (laughs) for being a Protestant. Um, was this before or after the Diet of Worms? I don't know. I don't know my history very well like that. I, I, <laughs> if you're asking me about dates, yeah, I'm not going to remember that. So, okay, so they outlawed... <laughs> I, I was pointing out the fact that it was called the Diet of Worms. The Diet of Worms? Yeah. What was their diet? <laughs> A diet or dyad? D-Y-A-D. D-I-E-T. Like the same word, but different meaning, of course. A diet, in this case, is like a gathering, a meeting some kind with some special implications because they're calling it a diet we can look this up but we won't <laughs> yeah we won't right now <laughs> all right so they outlawed martin luther they banned his books and they they pretty much permitted anyone oh, oh, to sorry. kill him without consequence i'm so sorry to interrupt you. go ahead 
The Edict of Worms was issued after the, right after the Diet of Worms or during. That's what it probably is going on. Yeah, so they gathered and then yeah. they... Said this Martin Luther guy just, yeah, no. Somebody please kill him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that reminds me of the, um, oh God, the the, tu- the Tudors. Yeah, yeah, it was um, Pope, uh, Pope Paul III at the time. And he's played by Peter O'Toole, you know, he's a great actor, as you know. And he goes, what about this Putan, the king's whore? Why doesn't somebody just get rid of her? <laughs> no, that's an edict. <laughs> um, who says that, by the way? One of the Pope two. Paul III. Oh. oh, Peter O'Toole playing him, though. Oh, okay. So was that considered him speaking uh, ex-cathedra? <laughs> what is ex-cathedra? Is that like off the like, record, sort of? No, no, no. It means oh. that he's making some official, like, Oh, no, at the time he was just complaining. He was complaining about Henry VIII. Yeah. Having a mistress and, you know, trying to remarry. And what's her name? Catherine of Aragon is just pushed off to the side. Um, Okay. So here's another one that's kind of just as bad as the Edict of Worms. There's the Edict of Expulsion by King Edward I of England. This is in 1290 when he expulsed the Jews from England. Mm. Well, they did that routinely. Yeah. They're just and like, we need money. Oh, let's expel the Jews and take their stuff. Pretty screwed up. Well, yeah, it was that, but it was also like, we owe the Jews a lot of money. Let's get rid of them. Yeah, and exactly. We don't, we let's don't wipe out them. our debt. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Easy. This is, uh, this is our current fearless uh, orange leader's uh, tactics. Right? Pretty much in action. Uh... Yeah. Who who are whose taxes are we going about? I was well, just like I have got we've got debt. Let's get rid of the let's get rid of the debt. The source of the debt. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you brought up Trump. I think um one of the things that was sort of being discussed recently was the power of his tweets and whether or not because of his office they're just considered law. Like if yeah. he says um if he tweeted like Paul Manafort is fired or something like that, then like that action might have to actually get carried out or something like there'll that. Be, there'll be legal consequences to it, yeah. Well, there was pushback, though. I think what happened was um, he tried to do a ban, like another, some kind of ban, but, but then uh, the Pentagon said, oh, no, we need to go through the official processes. You can't just tweet it. Yeah. Do you remember what that was? I don't remember. I remember reading about it like briefly, but I don't remember the exact like kind of argument that was going on. Yeah, that's what I was going to point out. It's that you know, like, do you consider it um, official because of the medium he's using? Yeah. Or not? You know, because it's Twitter. So. Well, yeah, because the office is so high. But then it also that kind of um, makes you wonder. What does the Pope ever say that's, like, not an edict? I think, well, now I think most most of what they say is not considered an edict. Because they're not... Because, again, they're not speaking ex-cathedra, which means they're not speaking from their official position or something like that. But I do remember when the Pope... I, I don't know if this was, like, Pope John Paul or was it the next one... Uh, which I think was a Nazi one, but <laughs> one, but one, one time a pope said, "Okay, it's okay to use condoms now," and that was like an edict. Everybody, like I remember people talking about, "Oh, okay, if you're Catholic and you weren't." That using- wasn't John Paul then. John Paul the first would have been him because he died really early, like thirty days into his reign. 
So it would have had to been Paul the sixth, maybe. No, I remember this happened. Oh, no, I, like you're talking 70s? about the the Pope the John Paul II, the one before we have right now, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. The one before Pope Pancho, John Pablo, Pope yeah. Francisco, the one everyone loves, Pancho. Yeah, <laughs> but like, John Paul, the one everyone loves, JP two. Yeah, I think it's true that when the Pope does say things, it does seem like it's like now we can and now it's okay, which is it's sort of like an edict of sorts. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's crazy. So, do you want my John Paul impression? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do actually. Do all our Catholic <laughs> listeners, all one yeah. of them, is going to be so mad? They all tuned off. And and for the listener, you don't see, but Aaron was raising his hand slowly, trembling it, making the sign of the cross. Yeah, and that's such a big part of the impression that I had to, like, mention it. I, I do this in, in classroom, too, sometimes. Not the, the, the impression and the trembling and everything, but, like, my students will say, uh, you know, can I turn in the paper tomorrow? I'll give them my papal blessing uh, be off. <laughs> yeah, all right. I want to be the head of creative media services. <laughs> Madman, that's saying John Slattery at his best. Yeah. yeah. Is all right. What's what's the paper equivalent of an edict? Would you say a papal bull? A declaration, right? A declaration, like Declaration of Independence. Mm-mm. Oh, that's cool. Um. All right. Yeah, because I had questions, you know, when uh, Aaron was talking about the word at the beginning of John, I think one of the things that like... I meant the bird, but okay. Judeo-Christian um, tradition values is written word. They like, you know, there's this fundamentalist Christian thing where they really want to treat every word of the Bible as uh, fact or whatever. And it's kind of because it's written down that makes it special or something like that. But it takes a special kind of mind and inter- interpretation to see it that way. But do you think edict is more, an edict might be more powerful than a declaration in any s- specific circumstance? Well, one of the things I wanted to bring up was the fact that, um, you know, so when I was looking up all these famous edicts, and I noticed that a lot of them had to do with religion. For example, the Edict of Worms, the Edict of Expulsion, again, expulsing the Jews because they're not Christians like us, right? Or um, the Edict of Nantes, you know, a lot of these edicts having to do with, like, religious tolerance or intolerance, that a lot of that kind of does lead up to, you know, um, our First Amendment, which is, you know, which has the clause that says you have, you know, freedom of religious liberty or something like that, right? That, like, all these edicts have been sort of... The reason why we remember all these edicts and why they're important is exactly because we have this sense of history moving forward and that all these edicts from past kings have finally led us to the First Amendment or something like that. Um, so that, like, you know... <laughs> You're completely ignoring the French Revolution's contribution to it, by the way. Can we uh, issue an edict? I mean, not the revolution, I'm sorry, the, the Enlightenment. What a, uh, oh, tell me more. No, yeah, I mean... Oh, the Enlightenment thinkers, you know, Hume, um, uh, God, who's the other guys? Voltaire. Voltaire. 
and um, and company are all you know in influencing these uh, Locke particularly as well are influencing mm -hmm. Jefferson who was the primary author um, who else had a hand in it Franklin um, not Washington but um, who was the, uh, John Adams had a big hand in, in the whole process Monroe you know the you know, founding fathers they were all influenced by you know the Enlightenment thinkers that came before them. They bring these ideas together and they say which is the best of this you know crop that we have. In addition to maybe yes the, the wisdom of the. Uh, but that was a lot issue. of yeah that was a lot of documentation. Yeah. And like philosophical yeah. writings. Right, but Jefferson was tasked with literally panning the damn thing, like the hard work. No, I mean all the Enlightenment was oh. driven by text. Oh sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't doubt that, like, of course, that, you know, there's, like, the history of the Enlightenment and, and, you know, individual thought, whatever that influences, you know, the Constitution that we have. Um, I think I was just pointing out a different kind of route, oh, also, the, that's coming up, you know. Are you talking about the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence? Let's be clear here. Could you about the Constitution. Uh, I talked about the First Amendment. Could you issue an edict that, like, all these cars will stop driving by... <laughs> There's a lot of bass on them. A lot of bass on these uh, Rosemead engines. Oh, I was just kidding, but yeah, sure. Closing the door probably will help. <laughs> Is that because they're all like older cars around here? I think they're like souped up or something. They're like vibrating the road. Okay, I mean, that's interesting that you, uh, that there's maybe this alternate route to, um, to these declarations or whatever, but don't, it seems like all the edicts are bad. What's the best edict? What's your favorite edict? A good one, a good one. <laughs> I don't have favorite ones. I, I, I you know, it seems I like... don't think about this very much, but uh, okay. So a lot of these are, um, some of these again have to do with religious toleration. Okay. The edict mm. of St. Germain, 1562, by Catherine Medici, Queen of France, who tolerated Protestant worship and freedom of conscience, right? Again, um, you know, she's tolerating the Huguenots in France. Um, uh, you know, and so I feel like there's, there's kind of a line that we can draw from that up to what we have now. And that the only reason why, again, why, we're think, why we think that these edicts are important is exactly because of the problem of religious tolerance whether they are condemning people or accepting them is not really the issue. It's the fact that we're kind of like tracing the, the problem of religious tolerance up until our current history is what I'm saying. So that in a way, like the voice of the kings are still kind of reverberating mm -hmm. <laughs> in the First Amendment as much as the Constitution is about getting rid of kings like their voice is still in there though in a small way of course we'll be right back Every time on Extreme Vocabulary, we like to look at a piece of literature that features the word of the day. And uh, our local literary man is Efren. Efren, what do you have for us today? Oh, well, I think I'm one of many literary uh, 
people here. What but a literary I, lover. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm a literary lover. And I have a poem today. It's called Assault to Abjury. It's by Raymond McDaniel. And it's from a poetry collection called Saltwater Empire that I actually... Um, I've never read the whole thing. I've just read a few of poems from the collection. But I do want to say as somewhat of a preface to reading this poem, it was one of the few uh, cases where the word edict appeared in a piece of literature that was any time even in the 20th century. It's a difficult um, word to, uh, to find in literature. I thought that was interesting, but it was here in this poem that I'm going to read and maybe we can talk a little bit about why it appears in this particular poem from 2008. 2008? 2008. And really quickly though, just as another piece of uh, preface, uh, this poetry collection is all about post-Katrina New Orleans. Hmm. So you're going to hear you're going to hear some of the themes coming out in this poem. It's not very long, but I will read it. Assault to Abjury by Raymond McDaniel. Rain commenced, and wind did. A crippled ship slid ashore. Our swimmer's limbs went heavy. The sand had been flattened. The primary dune, the secondary dune, both leveled. The maritime forest extracted. Every yard of the shore was shocked with jellyfish. The blue pillow of the man of war empty in the afterlight. The threads of the jellyfish spent. Disaster weirdly neatened the beach. We cultivated the debris field. Castaway trash, our treasure. Jewel box, spoon ring, sack of rock candy. A bicycle exoskeleton without wheels, grasshopper green. Our dead 10 speed. We rested in red mangrove and sheltered in sheets. Our bruises blushed backwards, our blisters did. Is it true? Is it true? God help us, we tried to stay shattered, but we just got better. We grew adept. We caught the fish as they fled. We skinned the fish. Our knife clicked like an edict. We were harmed, and then we healed. So we see here again, I'm just going to repeat the line that has the word in it. We skinned the fish. Our knife clicked like an edict. So edicts are clicky things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's weird about that, I guess, or maybe there's purposeful ambiguity, but I'm not sure. It's when your knife clicks, you're either opening it or closing it. So I don't know in this case if they just skinned it and then the closing of the knife was the edict. edict. Or if opening it, if he's talking, if he opened it like the line before the line about the fish. See, this is why I like Josh, man. Yeah. What are you talking so, about? So observant. We have a close <laughs> reader on our hands here, folks. A close reader. No, that's excellent. That's yeah. that's a good question. You don't want to close your knife right after gutting a fish. You want to drop in some water first, or at least. So uh, it's probably an opening. I buy based on that. Clue, I would guess. Well, in either case, which in what way are they, is, are they are both the opening or closing like an edict? We skin the fish or knife clip like an edict. Uh, hmm. If we think of an, can an edict be a pardon? 
I think so. Well, the fish is already dead, so that almost doesn't work. <laughs> well, it was like the fish became um, the the beginning and the last word of their sustenance, right? Mm. Right. In other words, like the knife that uh, skinned the fish for consumption was a declaration of how they would survive, I guess, right? So in that sense, maybe it's an edict. Oh, or is yeah. it? Is it kind of like the sense that like an edict is the end of all discussion, right? That it's like the finality and that the way that the knife clicks, it's, it's uh, transmitting some kind of authority to what they're doing? I don't know. <clears throat> In that case, it would seem like it would be the opening of the knife then, right? Right. Hmm. <clears throat> or maybe the opening and the closing, just the whole time it's out, is the edict or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then to put an end on it, just like the uh, Pope kind of stops making an edict at some point, but everything that was said during the edict is sort of like mm -hmm. of from God or whatever. Mm. So the skinning of the fish then is in some ways like the edict part of it. Or no? I, I like that, yeah. I like the idea that the knife has the authority and it's almost like um, survival ultimately and like man's survival ultimately is the final word, I guess, on things. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> That's good. Mm -hmm. I think you solved it, detective. <laughs> so in our next segment <laughs> we got all the answers here on extreme vocabulary does anyone have any hypothesis about why why the word edict was difficult to find and then I found it here like where is here here is in a poetry collection based on post Katrina in New Orleans um, in a poem from 2008 you know I thought I, I thought that before you started reading the poem, I thought that the word edict was going to be used um, in reference to maybe the president mm -hmm. who was Bush at the time and that it was going to be used ironically, right? And like that somehow something he said about the situation didn't, didn't um, fit right in with the tragedy or something like that because he got criticized a lot for for not non-action mm -hmm. <laughs> when it came to Katrina mm -hmm. um, so that's that was actually the first thought I had was is it going to be in relationship to Bush but it turns out it has to do more with like a knife you know yeah yeah which by the way I was thinking too and I, that's kind of a fun way to read a poem if you think about it that we do on this show where it's like this word's gonna happen and then you start like anticipating it yeah it's kind of fun yeah because I thought the same I thought I was gonna find it in some kind of ironic satirical or like uh, critique uh, against some kind of government figure like when I when I was looking um, this is also like tied for the most uh, longest it ever took me to find something which is like took me three hours of research whoa, whoa. to do this um, which was, I, the other, the I think other the other one was radio, I think, or something like that. I think radio took me along. What did we do radio or yeah, no? We did, we oh, did stereo. Stereo. Maybe it was stereo. Oh, it was stereo. One of those words that like, was difficult for me to find, but this one was like 
tied for that, which is it. Just we need sponsorships so that we can pay Efren for his research at hours. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean Abraham has a lot. Uh, um, oh, he, he does this in his sleep though. <laughs> See, they're, they're they're dismissing your labor. There is this exploitation. Yeah, but I mean, we, the root of all evil. We don't even work the hardest. Josh works the hardest on this. That's whole not thing. true. Yes, Maybe. it is. I don't do a damn thing. <laughs> you just show up. <laughs> no, once in a while I produce the place. That's like, all right. When the money rolls in, he's just taking it all for himself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like it's like when they ask the artist, uh, the, you know, there's a street artist, and and they're like, how much for you to paint us a picture? And then it's like, oh, you know, a hundred dollars. Do you guys know this? And then they go, well, how could it be a hundred dollars? It only takes you thirty minutes. It's like, no, it took me thirty minutes in the rest of my life previous. So all the work you do is you building your uh, Aaron, Aaron <laughs> yeah, the, the mastermind, <laughs> your whole life, and then you brought it here, which is one day before, as we record this, is one day before your birthday, right? Rumor has it. So happy, yeah. happy birthday, almost. Also, more of your body seems to be vibrating when you speak. So it's just like volume. More volume is being produced, which is more physical. It's more labor. <laughs> physical work. It's more lo- 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 mm. Oh, the I'm performance aspect is very labor intensive, yeah. It's a lot of energy. Yeah, your voice is acquiring more authority also. <laughs> <laughs> Gravitas. We're almost ready for an edict. <laughs> I know. What what will be your your final edict, Aaron? You know, uh, will it be on your deathbed? Will you give us a final papal <laughs> blessing? It'll be on my gravestone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, no, no, it's not the gravestone. Never mind. Uh, but uh, my final word will be: bury me upside down. <laughs> Why? So that the world can kiss my ass. <gasps> <laughs> you know what's funny is that. that that voice sounds like Super Dave Osborne. Like Super Dave. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about the wing gossamer of love? It's a good impression. We'll be back with more Super Dave after this. <laughs> And here we are in our final section, segment of Extreme Vocabulary this week, where we try to figure out what song to play under the end for the outro. Oh, And I'm drawing a blank. (laughs) This is a tough one. Um, We were all supposed to research this ahead of time. Oh, man. I completely forgot. We almost never... I, I never felt like I was researching the song part. We've been able to do it really pretty quickly. Like the the muse just kind of gifts us, gives us a lot of gifts once in a while. Edict. I mean, what, maybe not edict, but what about creed? There's something no related. Oh God, not creed. Or uh, creed's Clearwater. Yeah, no, but it's going to be in the song title, not the band. I, is a creed similar to an edict? I feel like they're different. They're very different. Very different. Yeah. But they're they're on the same Babel room, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Well, religion. I like this room full of like religious uh, religiosity, and whether it's spoken or written or on a tablet or uh, on the phone in a bowl of water, along with commandments, creeds. So the edict is the word, and the word is bird. How about that one? <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> oh, isn't there isn't there a word? Surf bird. Uh, yeah. Isn't Surf. there some of the Beatles? Oh, it's not. They didn't have the word edict, but it's the word, right? By Beatles. Is there a song? They have yeah, words? it's called The Word. Oh, The Word. Say the word, love. Oh. Still find it sunshine. 
Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. There, there we go. I was it. thinking, uh, tell me, just just because of that part, just because I was thinking of somebody telling you something important. Tell me what? Whatever <laughs> you want me to be, mm. or uh, like edicts of love or something. Mm. That would be a good song, edict of love. No, I think it's got to be the word. I like it. Yeah, it's meant to be because that was sort of like maybe the Beatles and the '60s overall message is like. We have a new order from God. We met God in LSD, and uh, <laughs> he wants us to love each other. You guys forgot about that. Yeah. But listen to this guitar, and you'll remember. Oh, that's good. The Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. Do you think there was another... Why was the 60s so much about love? And do you think there's any other decades that compete with that message? The decade of Jesus? The Jesus decade? Yeah. When Jesus was in? Was there any love in the Roaring Twenties? There was something, but I don't know if it was necessarily associated with love. That was decadent, sexually. Masquerading as love. Um, Oh, there was the, was was it the decade of, was it called the decade of good faith or something? Like after, during the 1830s? Uh, I well, wait, what's this? It was like it was you're, like you're the 19th century guy. It was after I think it was after the War of 1812, and like everything was settled. And it was like the uh, I don't, I'm screwing up the history, so now that's a little bit of peacetime. Yeah, it was like some it kind was of okay for us, but it period. wasn't love the way the 60s is. Oh no, which was fueled by you know widespread uh, uh, drugs. <laughs> but what does it mean to have good faith though? Like what what was that about? It was it was political. It was political harmony. That was supposed to be, yeah. You know what it really was about the 60s, though? I think it was a contrast between how tight everything was in the 50s and just how strong the drugs were in the 60s. It was like a rubber band snapped mm-hmm. something. Yeah, and in the 70s had all this like lukewarm music, right, supposedly? Like, it was known for that, even though it had, of course, like Zeppelin and other, but it was known for being the, the, snap, back, the, the, the snap back from the 60s, right? Oh, that's an interesting interpretation. Oh, like the Carpenters and all this like sort of really light, I don't know. Gordon Lightfoot. There was also I... prog rock though and... Uh... Yeah, but nobody listened to that. <laughs> <laughs> I think people listen to that more now than they did back then, according to my sources. But... Oh, okay. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. Then you had disco. I don't know. Disco duck, man. But all right. So fine sunshine. Thank you for listening to Extreme Vocabulary. We'll see you next time. Yeah.